to Between Sundays. I'm Marin, and I am suffering like a tender green shoot. Barry is here to tell us more about our role in sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But before we do that, now that he's back from startling many nations, please welcome <laughs> back our favorite sucker, Barry. Good day, Barry. <laughs> Good day, Marin. You're my favorite sucker. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> uh, that. I haven't said that word sucker as much as I did in this past sermon ever in my life. You said it so much, and I don't think I realized how averse I was to that word. You know how some people don't like the word moist? Like, I love that word because I usually liken it to cake, and who wants a dry cake? Everyone wants a moist cake. But sucker is just one of those words that I have some sort of negative association with. I apologize for that. (laughs) There is a... There is another word. I put it in the app notes. I can't remember what it was, but some sort of like more scientific term for what they're called. Uh, but it just, I don't think it was going to be the same. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. Are they suckers because like they're like life drainers? Are they like. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, oh, basil shoots. Bas- that, that I would have liked. Basil shoots. Because anything associated with basil has an or immediate. Basil, basil shoots. B A S A L. I don't know. I would have loved shoots. that. <laughs> I don't actually know why they're called suckers. I need to look that up. Now I'm very intrigued. Um, but that is just what they're called. Uh, and they grow on other plants too. Tomato plants apparently grow suckers. Ah. So you have to prune those off once you're trying to get ready yes. to. Uh, yeah, Olivia just taught me that. I didn't know I they were called I, that. I'm looking at my tomato plants right now. And I'm getting excited because it looks like maybe one of them is starting to ripen. <laughs> Maybe a little little hint of red. I I think yellow. And maybe that means it's being underwatered. I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) it's either about to get ripe or it's dying dying fast. Right. Well, it's going to get water here in a minute because we are both about to get hit by a massive storm. I don't know if you can tell from where you're sitting. I know that you can see me on video, but it looks apocalyptic out there. Yeah, it's very dark. Lots of moving trees and stuff. Can I tell you the craziest fact that I just learned? Apparently, I learned this yesterday, apparently weather reports or weather predictions have gone way down in accuracy during COVID. And can you guess why? I surely cannot. Because of greenhouse gas? I don't know. No, no, no. no. That'd be nice. No, no, because they rely on commercial airliners to give apparently like much more uh, accurate predictions of or accurate like reports of what's going on with the weather. And since there's so many fewer flights, they aren't able to have the eyewitness uh, accounts of where the storms are and stuff. Isn't that crazy? That's hilarious. Right before I clicked on the link to start recording this with you, um, I was joking with my husband about how I will always, always water my plants on the day it pours down rain. Like it happens every time without fail. And he was laughing and said, you know, there's an app for that. But I, I was telling him the last couple of times I, I've checked the app, it, it's been wrong every time. Um, Same. Yeah. Um, yeah, it either, it either says it's going to rain and then it's bone dry or vice right, versa. It, and it's like, how do you even plan for well, this? And yeah. one time it said it was going to rain. Our yellow looking grass really needed the rain and it didn't rain here at 126 in Allisonville but it did rain at 146 in Allisonville so it's just missing (laughs) me for whatever reason 
classic Indiana yes. pocket thunderstorm. Now I have to. Anyway, how you been? <laughs> how you doing, Mary? I'm good. I'm sorry. I'm watching my beautiful lawn chairs blow all around the yard, and oh no, now I'm calling for help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, I'm good. We went up to South Bend this weekend for Jed's dad's birthday celebration. It's an annual fun. thing, and we can count on good food and a no-bake blueberry cheesecake every year. Hmm. Every, every year. year. Is it good? Oh, it's awesome. Every year. I mean, huh. <laughs> I've been married for 17 years now. I've been eating this cake for 20 years now. So, yeah, it's wow. good. It's real good. So it's a tradition. That's awesome. Yeah, the kids got Very to see cool. the cousins. They got to go swimming. It was a lot of fun. Um, but because we were back to um, Fisher's did its second soft open this last Sunday. That's so, right. You guys did two services to yeah, try that so out. So it was just a quick trip up to South Bend and back, just a day trip, so that Jaden and I could be back here for the soft open Sunday morning which was also awesome. The Let's see, last week we did an acoustic-style worship set, just something a little more simplified, and sure. we only did one service. Um, mm -hmm. Again, Covenant community members just kind of getting our processes in place and making sure yeah. that... I'm sorry, my husband is getting poured on picking up I, the chairs. I can hear the... I think I think our listeners are going to be able to hear the rain from your mic. It is intense. He, he is getting walloped. Oh, this is entertaining. Um, oh, poor Jed. Poor Jed. Yeah. So that this Sunday we did two services um, like we normally would, um, and we had a full band. You know, full, full, full like we normally would, and I yeah, think lasers. Yeah, and totally. Dancing bears. <laughs> Electric light yeah. show. Yeah, it's very Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. No, so it it went well. Um, it felt again so good to be together and in each service that we've had these uh, practice runs so far I think the thing that they all have in common is the eagerness of the people the looks on their faces yeah. now I can't see what their mouths are doing because they're all wearing masks <laughs> but I can see right. the way their eyes are communicating and I can see the way they're interacting with one another and with me and um the people who are able to come back and join us in person are stoked yeah. and they're committed. And this means as much to them as it does to me. So yeah, it was a good weekend. Cool. It was good. How about you, Barry? I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, continue to get some good work done around the farm, which I love. Um, these, these baby bunnies, do you remember back in April when there was a surprise litter of eight baby bunnies born in our house? Yes. Do you remember that? Cause I do and sometimes i lose now, track well, of the bunnies that come and go I don't but. yeah of course well because because <laughs> winona the mom came with five babies that she had just given birth to and little did we know that she had been impregnated in the the hoarding situation before she was taken right. to the the shelter so basically yeah she's had 13 babies in within a month oh uh, so she's a hero um, but anyway, one of the, one of the babies didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And so seven of them have now grown up in our house and, um, Winona just got adopted, which is, which is great. We're very happy. She's in like the perfect house family that just loves her to death, which is awesome. Um, but now we've got these seven teen bunnies, which are eating us out of house and home. And we're talking like we're buying alfalfa hay by the 50 pound box. So like it is, is insane. Seven adolescent bunnies. Yeah. Because when you yeah. say 17 bunnies. I'm like, you mm -hmm. have 17 bunnies? No, oh, no. no. Yeah, not, not 17 <laughs> Evan, bunnies. 
adolescent they bunnies. They might as seven adolescent bunnies that, <laughs> that might as well be 17. Like human teenagers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just keep, they're just shoveling it in. We're going through bags and bags of pellets. They're, they're eating like our entire garden worth of greens. It's, it's great. We love it. But they are, uh, they're now getting to the point where they have to start getting, um, separated by because they you know once their hormones start going crazy they have to be separated or they actually might hurt each other because they're very territorial yeah. so one of them was you know bit another one in the ear so we had to separate her and so anyway so now go ahead yeah, go, go ahead. ahead no i'm sorry I, i'm just <laughs> <laughs> where's tyler um i saw a video of like two bunnies that i i shouldn't even call them bunnies i is jackalope a thing or is that like mythical <laughs> but it was like a a rabbit-like creature that was much larger yeah. and had these gangly legs, but they jumped yeah, yeah, up yeah. on their hind legs and were boxing yeah, and each fighting. other like kangaroos. Just, yeah, I think they're jackrabbits. Ripping each other yeah. up. Just the brokenness yeah. of creation. And I almost <laughs> sent it to you, but then I'm like, yeah. now that might hit too close to home. But like, you're used to bunny no, violence. No. They, yeah, they do this thing called tornadoes where they'll both, they try to like dominate the other one. They'll kind of get behind them and kind of nip them and that kind of shows like I'm the boss but when they're both trying to do it they basically basically just start circling each other really fast and it turns into a tornado and I mean it's you have to actually be kind of careful when you separate them because there's like teeth and and claws and everything flying everywhere and so you could easily be scratched or bitten or whatever but anyway all that to say <laughs> we've had to separate them now and so now we have them those bunnies are now distributed through one two three four separate pens and soon to be five, and so, and then our other foster gal, Arden, is just in the other room. We had to move her into the other room because we just ran out of space. Wow. So how many it's okay. of the rooms in your home are being occupied by bunnies? <laughs> uh, well, currently, three if you count the you know the free ranging Humphrey and Rue as just taking one room. But that's but they've got, like a multi-purpose. You know, that's your office yeah. slash yeah their room yeah okay so both of our guest rooms then are bunnies right now um but it's temporary we're not that's not a permanent <laughs> situation these these babies will get adopted soon and they're very cute and anyway so once that happens we're going to probably take a little break from from the the fostering world for just like a second just to catch our breath i so. do think i've heard you say that before we did <laughs> and it was like a great like week <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of bunnies that need homes. And so we, it's really hard when you, when you know that there's a bunny that needs a space and we've got the space, yep. it's like, okay, well we could, we could take one more. <laughs> so, but in this case, one anyway. more turned into seven more. Well, yeah, yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Right. So anyway, we're good. Uh, things are, things are fine. I'm loving my new chainsaw is like <laughs> my favorite. I've never had a chainsaw before and it is my favorite thing ever. I'm like babying it. I'm learning it. I accidentally, um, took a pe I took a part off to try. I was trying to figure out how to get something back together. And I took a part off and this really heavy duty spring just popped out of that, that section. And I had to figure out how to get the spring back on there. And like all that to say, I learned a lot about the internals of my chainsaw yeah. and yeah. So now I'm, I, I know it even better. It's pretty great. So <laughs> from what I understand, it could be a lifelong relationship between an individual and their chainsaw. It's, you have to not only like have the carefully mixed oil and gas mixture that you give it, but you also have to use bar oil or chain oil to yes. keep it, you know, smooth. So you've got to like be refilling both of those and you've got to make sure the chain is tight yes. and you have to like sharpen the chain if it starts getting 
starts getting dull. Yeah, so. my father. I'm here. For, I'm here for it. My father-in-law, the <laughs> inner city, uh, fourth floor dwelling Chicago apartment dweller, mm-hmm. had two chainsaws that um, I guess there's really no need for in Chicago. So where does he store them? My house. So hey, I know all about that chain <laughs> chain oil. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So where oh, is Tyler? Anyway. Where is Tyler? Tyler is. Actually, this is his sort of second go around for paternity leave. Okay. So one of the things that we talked about doing was kind of re redoing a little bit of how we do paternity leave at Grace mm-hmm. because it's been classic where, you know, the dad gets, you know, if, if a couple has a baby, the dad gets a little time off couple right weeks. when the baby's born. But we felt like, okay, realistically, that's not necessarily what's best for the couple <laughs> because there's a lot of, you know, the dad sitting around, not doing much, but we thought, what if we made it more of a flexible thing where if the couple was wanted to, the dad could take some of that time later in the Mm. year. And so that's what Tyler's doing. He's taking a little bit of that time when he can kind of really, uh, actually interact with his new son and not just, uh, sit on the couch while, while Lauren takes care of the baby. So, um, yeah, so that's where he is and I hope he's having a great time and I hope he's off his email because I will, he will get in trouble if, uh, <laughs> if I catch him working when he's not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, so it's just the two of us. Yep, yep, here we are. Here we are. Ah. Well, should we get into the sermon? <laughs> what should we do? I don't know. Who, we, we don't have Tyler to we guide us. We don't have Tyler to, to do the segue, but he would probably say something to the effect of, well, let's switch gears here and talk about your sermon. Yeah. And Barry, would you just give us an overall kind of uh, bird's eye view of what your big idea was? Yeah, for those who might not have heard yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I will. So this past, last weekend, I preached about the servant songs of Isaiah, and we talked all about that on the pod last week. But um, basically introducing this character of the servant who who shows up several times in, in Isaiah 40 through 55. And um, I basically talked about the fact that this servant is... Christ. I mean, it is Jesus because he is the ultimate suffering servant. He's the ultimate servant of God. But um, I also talked about the fact that if you consider the original context of these these songs uh, or these poems, there's a sense in which these are not just descriptions of a servant of God. They're a description of any servant of God. They depict what it's like to to give your life to God and his justice in a very broken world. And so <clears throat> this week, we focused in specifically on the fourth servant song, which is the one that I think is probably most familiar to people. Um, he was pierced for our transgressions, like a, like a sheep before the shears is silent, all of those, those classic lines that we always read, uh, you know, at Good Friday and stuff. So I went into this one, but I kind of try to bring that same mentality from the week before into this one as well to ask the question of... Um, is there a way that, that this speaks to us on other levels other than just being a you know cut and dried depiction of Jesus? Are there other ways to understand this as, a, as we consider our own you know calling to follow Jesus in this world? Mm. So um, all that to say, you know, I, I made the case that like this suffering servant, if we are going to dedicate ourselves to healing this broken world, we are going to find ourselves uh, bearing the sorrows of others. We're going to find ourselves um, mocked and ridiculed. We're going to find ourselves suffering and struggling uh, 
because this world does not understand or even desire what we have to offer, even though what we're doing is, is essentially continuing and living out the mission of Jesus himself. So, um, yeah, so that's basically it. And, um, yeah, we can get into some of the specific imagery or some of the different things that we talked about, but that was it. Yeah. One of the images that stuck out to me the most, and maybe the one that I resonate with the strongest, you said, you know, if we are going to engage with a broken world, if we are going to do what it's all about, and that is bringing light to dark places, as we go to these dark places to bring the light of Christ, we will experience brokenness in a Mm. way that will at at times and probably oftentimes be painful and difficult to bear. And one of the illustrations you used was, you know, if anybody has ever loved somebody had a loved one with an addiction and you know how their brokenness can be a weight that the family bears a weight that you bear and can kind of induce or bring about this uh low grade or sometimes high grade fever of of sadness um right and and not and not just because you're you know they're a burden and you're oh man it's it's a hassle to to deal with but because you care so much about them and you long for them to be healed right that it, it you carry that weight even if even if they don't even know. Right. And again, yeah. we we emulate Jesus. We are little Christs. We are Christians. Yeah. And so yeah. if we are to share the sufferings of Christ and to look like Christ and do what he did, that brings to mind the picture of Jesus weeping over the mm. city saying, "How yeah. long have I wanted? I have longed to gather you." under my wings mm-hmm. he it's it's a heart of deep love that brings him to tears and you talk about a low-grade fever of sadness christ our example suffered and was sad because of the brokenness of humanity and his great desire to bring healing to those broken places so i don't know i think initially and and even in this service even in this sermon i was questioning okay am i a tender green shoot like how can this really be about me you know this is me barry keeps (laughs) saying it could be about any servant but i was never like a lamb silent before the shearers so this can't be about me Mm -hmm. but it (laughs) is about me if i share in the sufferings of christ and look at his life and like i that illustration to me was perfect yes i've loved people that have had major areas of brokenness in their lives um and i have i have identified with that sadness yeah yeah Yeah. well one of the and one of the ways that i've and and by the way even even as after you know my whole sermon last weekend even when i came back to isaiah 52 and 53 i was like does that really hold up here and then the more i thought about it, i was like yes of course it does it absolutely Mm. does in my mind but like even i had to pause because i'm so used to thinking about this in Christological terms yeah. that it got uncomfortable to think, but then as I got into it, yeah, like it, it does, it does start to make sense. Even as again, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this, and and yeah. So one of the one of the things that I think about is, uh, you know, we so value strength and masculinity and power mm-hmm. in our society that there is now becoming a a, a mentality in some Christian circles 
that we need to rid Jesus of all of these, you know, soft feminine characteristics and start really hammering home the fact that he was actually like a total macho like, man boss. Yeah. He was a macho <laughs> man. And I, there was a, there was a tweet that went around that got of course widely mocked because, uh, but this tweet the other day, someone was like, was like, um, I don't, something like, I don't like the whole meek and mild Jesus. I want the, I want the, the, the warrior Jesus mm-hmm. or the whatever. And everyone was like, uh, blessed are the meek. Like <laughs> it was, there was like, everybody was basically quoting Jesus back to him. Yeah. But it, anyway, but it's just interesting. Cause I think some of the things that I believe we might need to consider living like in our lives are not highly valued. Like I'm a, I'm a man, but I, I have spent time, uh, you know, trying to love on, on, you know, Ukrainian orphan mm-hmm. children, which is not a very masculine thing to do. And in fact, uh, mm. you know, in Ukraine, that's, it's mostly women right. who are doing the work there. And, and that I actually wrote an article where this isn't about, you know, masculine or feminine, but it just, I wrote an article back when I was doing world next door and the, the article was called, where are the dudes? <laughs> Because, and I was reflecting on the fact that as I was traveling around the world, as I was encountering, uh, you know, short-term tr- mission teams from the, from the States that were coming to these different countries, like the vast majority of people that I encountered were girls, mm. like all over the place. And I, I was wondering about that and wondering, is it, is there something about the gentle, uh, the, the gentle practices of loving the unlovable that, that men recoil from or whatever so but it's not just men it's 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 anybody Mm -hmm. any any apparent weakness or apparent uh humility seems to just be trampled on or mocked in this in this society that we're living in now so i I don't know i'm just kind of thinking out loud but that's the kind of feel that i have where there is a sense where we are uh despised for wanting to follow jesus in in his footsteps right yeah yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I was reading today uh, a couple of studies that were published uh, the end of the year last year about church yeah. uh, statistics and uh, graphs and things like demographics and whatever. And I saw a pretty distressing <laughs> graph of the drop-off of, uh, I want to get this right, I think it was whether people um, saw, here it is, the reputation, the confidence in the church. Hmm. Um, Do you have a great deal of confidence, quite a lot of confidence, or very little? And as you can imagine, the graph is just almost a straight line downward, just Hmm. from 1974 to where the graph ends in 2019, just Hmm down downward trending um and more specifically it talked about the people more likely to leave the church or have left the church between the ages of 18 and 34 maybe uh Mm -hmm. were men and Hmm. so interesting it, it does beg the question why and i don't think we're gonna answer that question on this podcast today but no um what you were noticing worldwide and domestically other people are noticing as well and sure. brings brings up 
quite a few questions for me. Now, I was raised in a household, my father specifically, who saw all the challenges of Christianity, the self-giving love, which he would never describe that way because we didn't have that phrase until I came to grace. Yeah. But what what yeah. he was trying to emulate, he saw as an incredibly masculine thing because it was mm. hardcore, because it was so yeah. difficult and kind of going against the grain of society <clears throat> and doing the difficult thing was the most manly yeah. thing you could do because it was so hardcore. <laughs> like you've yeah. met my yeah. dad. He's covered in tattoos. Yeah. He's he's a <laughs> macho man, you know? Yeah. But he saw the challenges of being like Christ as something um i don't know that he would call it masculine but i know that he embraced that he embraced the challenges yeah um yeah i and i think there's something to that i think i think it requires more strength to set aside your human strength (laughs) to to submit yourself to another to lower yourself to to raise up another like raising up another person versus raising up yourself which one takes more strength raising up another right and yet we seem to value raising up yourself and and that just is the the way that the world works and so again when we try to be that self-giving love suffering servant mm-hmm. the one who who lifts up others on behalf of God's kingdom like that that's when we get mocked yeah or or even just ignored it that's the other thing that there's some language I didn't really get into this in the message but it's interesting that um the language talks about <clears throat> the servant just we didn't even notice him. Mm. He, he's just, you know, we looked the other, it's like a, a very plain person in a crowd. You don't even, you don't even see him. You look right past him, and yeah, there's something, there's something about that, which is interesting. It's not even, there is an active, an active hatred and a, you know, despising, but there's also just the complete, like, we didn't even see him. We didn't even notice him because that's not, he doesn't, he didn't register on our, on our radars. That's what I thought when you talked about um, new growth, there's that, that sucker, that tender green uh-huh. shoot coming yeah. from the fallen tree of Israel. Because everyone would expect to see suckers, right? You you showed us sure. this image during your message of how you just pruned yeah. one of your trees and how just a couple of days later, multiple new growths were there. Yeah. And that they're, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're trying to clear an overgrown area, they're aggravating. You got to keep going yeah. back and pruning them and cutting them down. So it sounds like they're a dime a dozen and that they'd be easy to overlook because that they're 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 an expected nuisance. Sure. But what was unexpected is that this common thing this yeah. unassuming um easy to ignore thing is the very thing that is the hope of your nation and the hope of the world. Right. Right. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I love, I love the, uh, the, the poetry of that image. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know if I, I think I was clear in how I described this, but I was suggesting that there were two layers to that image, um, in, in, you know, Isaiah, um, uh, what are we talking about? 53. <laughs> Sorry. In Isaiah 53, there's, there's this shoot that is either unno- unnoticed or unwanted or a nuisance and nothing, nothing attractive, nothing, nothing majestic about it whatsoever. It's not a big fancy tree. It's just this tiny little green shoot. Um, 
But then there's this other layer at work because when you go back to earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, you see this whole image of this shoot, the sucker growing from the stump of David, uh, of the, the family of David, all the, the royalty, the whole line of kings, everything that had developed into this mighty tree, mm-hmm. which, and if you, again, this is the world of the text, the stuff that I geek out about. But then if you, if you go back into Isaiah 10, it's this description of God leveling the forests that are all made up of the enemies of God, Assyria, like they're all getting all the, all the trees that were opposed to God's plan are being leveled. Mm. They're being chopped down and burned. And the very next verse, the very next chapter says that out of the stump of David, and you're like, whoa, wait, cut down David. Interesting. David's the the Kings of Israel are also cut down. Like that's the, it's like, whoa, that would have been, that would have slapped you upside the head if you were an ancient Israelite to hear that. So, so Assyria is getting chopped down and so is Israel. What? So anyway, but, um, I love that image, which Mm. is one of the earliest kind of uh, new creation slash messianic prophecies that we have. Uh, It it talks about this new growth coming out. And so this new growth is the continuity and the, the, uh, the ultimate salvation, not just of Israel, but of the world that Israel was here Mm. to, to save. And so, it's going to happen, but it's going to come through this new little tiny shoot. And so then, I, I mean, it's it would be absolutely baffling to me if Isaiah 53 was not in some way referencing Isaiah 11. I mean, that that to me would be, like, you're not just going to bring up the idea of a new tender young shoot coming out of a tree and not have that reference back. But yes. um, to me, when you put those two layers together, it's like, not only is there hope, not only is this new growth coming out of what we thought was destroyed, but it's going to be something that we're all going to ignore mm. and miss and, and look the other way, yeah. which is so, that to me is just like, that image has been so provocative for me this week. Mm. Um, so yeah. we are Christ's representatives on earth. If he was the tender green shoot that, you know, ultimately would redeem um, the nation of Israel and the world. And now we are yeah. his emissaries. Yeah when I look at that graph and that downward trend of people's confidence in the church, Hmm. is that us now? Are we being overlooked the way that Christ was overlooked as the hope of the world that people could pass by the church and say, "Ugh, another church. Hmm. You know, I wonder if we are in, in some respects becoming as despised as the one Hmm. we say we follow. Or that's, that's possible. Or, we have ignored and missed Jesus. Mm. We've gone looking after power or oh, yeah. influence or whatever in some other way and to the point where we are no longer, the message that we have is no longer the message of Christ. It's the it's some other message. Mm. And so it's losing power because it never had power, mm. that non-Christ message. Either way, I, I think probably both are happening uh, in our culture. So that, that brings me to my question of why was it so important for you to have us find ourselves in these scriptures that we most often reserve for Good Friday or maybe Christmas? Yeah. yeah. So that gets that gets to me into the context of well, the whole series we we did this as a as sort of a response to the the situation that we were in 
you know, nationwide with the pandemic, mm -hmm. with the national discourse, with all the stuff going on that just feels defeating and feels hopeless. Uh, you know, I wanted this whole series to be a chance for us to ask the question, what is God up to right now? Because it sure feels like we're spiraling, you know, we're, we're, there's chaos and what, what's going on. And so I wanted us to tap into the same thing that the Israelites in exile were tapping into, that God is still working, that God is on the move, that his purposes will come to fruition. It's not going to look the way that we think, but it is happening. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted us to have that same, that same mentality, that same understanding. But when it came to this specific, uh, image of this servant, I wanted us to not just think of it corporately, but to start thinking of it individually, um, and not just as the recipients of that, but actually the participants in that. And if we are servants of God, if we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, if we're his hands and feet, if we are the branches that grew from the shoot that was growing out of the stump of David, if we are the, the branches that that new shoot grows, then then what is our responsibility to, uh, you know, to, to live that out? If we are, if we are the church, if we're the, the, the hands and feet of Jesus, if we are the branches that grow from that new shoot, then we have a responsibility to live that out as well. And so I wanted us to think about what that means from even an emotional level for us to commit to something like that in a still broken world. Mm -hmm. um, this may have been the, not as applicable to people who aren't necessarily uh, maybe as deep in their spiritual journey. And I, I kind of wrestled with mm. that because I was like, this is really only going to going to speak to you if you are a little bit farther down the road, perhaps. Um, but at the same time, I want, I do not ever want to sell a, a vision of Christianity that is focused on me as in self, focused. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sell some image of following Jesus that is based on your comfort, that is based on your, uh, you know, your happiness. I want, I want to follow what scripture talks about. And man, when the disciples talk about, or the apostles are looking back on what Jesus called them to, they, they saw it as a, as an act of self-denial and death and, um, and struggle, even as they held so tightly onto the hope that they professed. And so I think for me, it's part of a much bigger <laughs> kind of um, yeah. th theological framework that I'm hoping to get across, which is that um, following Christ is not a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. It is not, uh, it's not an easy, comfortable road. And yet it's the only road that leads to true salvation. And it's the only road that leads to healing the world. And it's the only road that, that can actually give us hope in a hopeless time. So um, we're getting really meta here, but that's the very big picture of what I want people to understand. Uh, because I feel like, I mean, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but I feel like far too often in the, uh, the Protestant evangelical American church, we have, um, we have bought into a very easy Christianity with a very low bar, with a very, mm. um, very little being asked of us. And I think it's led to a lot of very um, shallow Christians and the faith of many is like, is like an inch deep. And so when trouble mm -hmm. hits, man, I don't know what's the point of sticking around. Right. So, right. Yeah, and what do you think? That's a picture that we see illustrated in scripture that, yeah. you know, we, we sow the seed, we throw the seed, the seed of the word, the seed of truth. 
and it falls on good soil and it falls on bad soil and it falls on some soil that takes yeah. root right away, but then the cares of the world choke it out. This isn't just something that is unique to now, unique to right. Western evangelical Christians. This is this has been a problem since the gospel was first being heard. They, that some yeah. would receive the word with gladness, but then the cares of life would choke it out. It it it, it was shallow. It didn't go deep. I don't know, Barry. Right. I <laughs> sometimes I think back. <coughs> sorry. Um, sometimes I think back to when I was first getting to know Grace. I come from a skeptical land <laughs> known mm -hmm. as Chicago. <laughs> the actual city of Chicago. Um, yeah. Not a lot of large churches where I lived right. in the cities. Um, there were smaller, um, you know, assemblies of Christians who would gather, but the skepticism I would hear around large churches was often that the gospel was, quote-unquote, watered down, or that it right. was some sort of seeker-sensitive message um, to fill the seats or to appeal to... Um, modern Western sensibility and prosperity sure. gospel, this, that, and the other. Um, and that was always kind of scoffed at where I came from. Like, ugh, they're just preaching this watered-down gospel. That's why they're so right. big. And they would wag their finger. But I've never, never experienced that at Grace. The first couple times I heard your dad <laughs> preach, yeah. I was like, how can this be? <laughs> and people keep coming back for more. <laughs> like you're you're telling us to esteem others as better than ourselves and you're telling us to lay down our lives, our desires to give of ourselves. And people are people are coming back to hear more of this. Well, some some are. Some are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots are. Um and I appreciate that. Again, I don't think I could be an active participant let alone a staff member of a church that did anything less, that preached anything less yeah. than the truth of the well, gospel. It, exactly. It is the gospel. I mean, that that's, yeah. And I, here's, here's kind of my, my life perspective from traveling. Uh, I may have talked about this before on the, on the podcast, but when I was, I had a big revelation when I was uh, living in Kibera slum in in Kenya, I lived there for a whole summer. One uh, back in 2009, I guess. And um, while I was there, I encountered people who had deep faith and and really rich, rich relationships with one another and with Christ. And they they used their gifts. And they they weren't educated. They didn't have big theological pedigrees, but they loved each other well. And they depended on God. And God provided for them. And God healed them sometimes. And I, I was blown away to see this mm -hmm. and to see the level to which people were, were so willing to set aside their own desires for the sake of others and for the sake of God's kingdom. At the same time, you know, when you travel, you start to become more aware of your own culture. Mm -hmm. Well, I started to become aware of the, the spiritual poverty of my own country and my own community and what I started to realize is that we are living in an abundance of material wealth while our community is in some sense a spiritual slum. We are, we are hindered by generations of, of 
impoverished spiritual thinking in some in some ways and and by that i mean self-centered spirituality you know that's that is how you end up spiritually poor is when you try to design a faith that's going to make you happy uh and that's going to make that's going to fit with what you want to believe and fit with you know that's how you end up spiritually poor and and what i've realized is it in the slum there are no easy solutions to just fix it i mean people keep coming in thinking ah this one this one water filter or this one new innovation or this new microfinance initiative is going to fix it all but what you have are just generations and generations of of systemic poverty layered on top of one another working against each other and so the only way to bring hope and healing in this in a, a physical slum is to dedicate yourself to a a long-term message staying in relationship with people and and walking with them into freedom from some of the systemic injustices that they're facing and i realized that if it comes to healing spiritual poverty in our community the same thing is true it's it's not going to happen overnight it's going to be a long journey mm-hmm. of discipling people walking with people and helping them break free of some of the 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 spiritual uh, systems that have have oppressed them selfishness uh consumerism um you, you name yeah. it and you know pride or or the 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 elevation of the of the macho you know strongman idea of of what it really means to lead and all that like we have to walk people through that and so this is a very long answer to your question but when i preach about things like this in my mind what i'm doing is i'm helping people just to simply think differently a little bit about um you know what it means to follow jesus and what true freedom from these these sort of systems actually looks like yeah yeah I think, um, you know, the fathers of the church, Peter, Paul, um, you know, the disciples who were martyred, they did not see suffering as an option. They Mm. saw it as um, an honor. They saw it part and parcel of, of what it meant to be a follower of Christ and to literally and physically share in his sufferings. I have wondered my whole adult life what that looks like for me. At at some point, I started to make this connection um, that suffering was like the pathway to true freedom and joy and not like Mm. this like self-effacing, like debasing kind of, you know. Right. we're, We're not talking about that. We're talking about enduring the suffering that is brought your way, but doing so hand in hand with Christ and doing so in a way that you are not struggling or writhing to fight against what is being brought upon you. And that's, right. that's also super, super broad. But I was, I was given a book um, early on in my music ministry, like early 20s. And it yeah. was, I think I've talked about it before on this podcast. It was a book called Let Go by Archbishop Fenelon. And I think it was written in like the 1700s. But this uh, spiritual man, this archbishop, was advising uh, a young member of the monarchy who was afflicted with some physical illness, telling him mm. essentially throughout the book to count it all joy. And breaking it down in a series of letters as to why you can glory in your present sufferings, all those things that Mm. are really hard for us to read and 
on their right. surface don't make a lot of sense. What do you mean count it all joy? You know, my, right. I just lost my house in a fire. How is that joy? You know, what, whatever right. the trial is, whatever the trial is or the tragedy is, how do we embrace that? How do we, how do we, I don't know, lay it on the altar and learn to count it all joy. Now I know, you know, <coughs> if your house burns down, that's not necessarily suffering for Christ, but it is, it is suffering. And how right. you, how you receive that suffering is a reflection of how you see, um, the presence of Christ or the nearness of Christ. Some people will take suffering and it'll harden them and they'll turn their backs. Right. And some people will take suffering and they'll grieve and they'll, and they'll mourn and they'll let the Lord be present with them in that suffering. Yeah. Um, and that, that is a testimony. So I don't know. I've always, I've always thought about my response in whatever suffering I'm facing. I, I think the first time this really started to illuminate was maybe the first time I ever felt chewed up and spit out by ministry. <laughs> I was somewhere mm. in my yeah. mid twenties, uh, feeling that high grade fever of sadness. Um, yeah. When I first started really thinking about what it meant to suffer and to suffer as a follower of Christ. Um, and then more recently, just over the last few years, of walking with my mom through uh, cancer and all those things, you know, what does it look yeah. like to, um, to bear witness in a season of suffering? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I, I, I find it so go ahead. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to say, I find it so interesting that, that, that they would say in, I mean, it's in scripture, but it also is in sort of ancient texts from the early church that people were found it, a great honor to be considered worthy mm -hmm. to suffer for the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, which I just, it, it's just so, so upside down. Mm. It is so crazy. Like, you know, uh, how, how, uh, Thor has his hammer yeah. in, uh, in the Avengers <laughs> yeah. and only those who are worthy can, uh, can lift it. And then, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much. Well, I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> Everybody's seen it by this point, but in, in, uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. Have you you've seen it? I'm I'm Marin? sure that I have. They all run together in my mind. This was the big one where they have the big final victory against Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a part in the in the movie when like you, you go look it up afterwards. Like look <laughs> look up on YouTube. Like re audience reaction opening night at this moment. But um, there's a point a point when. Thor gets knocked out and, uh, you know, Iron Man gets knocked out and then, uh, Captain America is somehow able to just pull, like draw Thor's hammer to himself. And then he goes and he starts using Thor's hammer and it's like, he's worthy. <laughs> Captain America is worthy. And like, could you, so, I mean, it's ridiculous. Cause that's like, obviously that's power and that's strength. And like, ah, oh, he's worthy yeah. to, to wield the hammer of power of thunder mm. and lightning. And, but like, what if we had that same mentality right. where it's like, I got to suffer. I got to suffer for Christ. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, sometimes I get glimpses of that when I think about the cost of giving my life to full-time yeah. ministry where I'm like, man, this is awful. But wow, yeah. I got, I got chosen to be in this role yeah. or I got chosen to, 
God chose me to do these things. This is wild and I, I'm worthy. Mm. Like, so in a small way, and I mean, that's not even anything compared to going to your death in the Roman Colosseum right. and being eaten by lions. But right. like, anyway, that to me, I'm like, uh, what if we thought of suffering for Christ in that mm. way? I think it's just so uh, powerful. It's an, it's, yeah. And you said that you're feeling it this week, the low grade fever of sadness. Are you still feeling it? Um, yeah, I am. I am. And I'll tell you why it, it is, it is the confluence of factors where it's like, a, we're trying to navigate this pandemic. We talked about this last week, you know, do we reopen? Do we not reopen? How do we navigate this? Knowing that every single decision we make, people are furious at us. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, I know people are leaving the church because we're requiring masks, for example. And it's like, but if we don't, and you know, and someone were to die because we didn't, it's like, oh, it's all this, this pain and this weight that I'm bearing on that. The other thing is, you know, I don't know if we've talked much about this, but, but grace continues to be in a challenging financial mm-hmm. situation. You know, our, our, we're projecting our giving to be coming in a little, uh, lo- again, lower than our budget. And we found a way to work, to stay in the black, but if we're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, stay afloat in this new ministry, or now that there's a recession mm-hmm. and a pandemic that continues on, it's like, we have to, we have to make these these really hard decisions about how best to steward the resources that God gives us, and so that weighs on me, and that's painful. And then, um, I guess it's just the the overall sense that in the midst of just trying to kind of stay afloat and bailing out some water and trying to get us navigate us through these these treacherous waters, I'm also taking a step back and looking like what we've already talked a little bit about how the confidence in the church is declining. We've got people fleeing the church in droves. And we, I'm now hearing that like Mm -hmm. attendance, Mm -hmm. even for churches all around the country, now that things have gone online, attendance is, is dropping quickly. Even churches that are reopening their attendance is a fraction of what it used to be. And, um, and on top of that, you take an even bigger step back and you realize that before the pandemic began, we were staring down the barrel of a reality where an entire generation of young people, Generation Z, mm-hmm. is is being raised by millennials who left the church. Right. And so you've got an entire generation that don't even have any basis for thinking that going to church is a normal thing. And so we're facing yes. the crisis of an entire generation that does not know Christ and and so on top of all of it, I feel this weight and this responsibility to navigate us, not just through this storm, but to a place where we are um, able to meet this new generation and and bring the gospel to them and equip them. And it can't just be doing things the way that they've always been done. And so I feel this this heavy weight of of you better innovate, you better come up mm. with great solutions. And I know your, your staff is stretched thin across three campuses, but you better start investing in online stuff mm. and all that. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, you know, oh it's goodness. just, it's a lot. Yeah. And so I know it's not up to me. I know at the end of the day, I've got a phenomenal team around me and I know that God's Holy spirit is going to guide us, but it still is kind of my job. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's like, I, I do have to kind of walk us through this, even as I'm walking us through listening to the spirit. Yeah. And so it's heavy. It's heavy. There you go. That's why I was bedraggled last yes. week. And, and it, yeah. I thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing that. Like, I think my daughter just came into the room where I was uh, studying a couple of minutes ago. And we were talking about like the rain. We were talking about something completely unrelated. And then I looked at her and I said, were you sleeping just now? And she said, no. And I said, 
Were you crying at any point within the last 17 hours? And she paused and she said, I was crying last night. And I could tell because of her countenance. She wasn't like mopey Mm. and sad. Her eyelids were puffy. And she Mm -hmm. has the same affliction I have that if we've been crying (laughs) within 24 hours, just look at our eyelids. You will know, you know. (laughs) And when you said you were bedraggled last week, I could assume I knew why. But I mean, it breaks my heart to see how much pressure you are under to lead all of us and through this unprecedented craziness your dad once described ministry as a full contact sport (laughs) and that was before a pandemic and that was before people were so personally offended by wearing cloths over their mouths that was before all of that Mm -hmm. it was a full contact sport so now i don't even know what to call it but I know that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I think admitting our weakness is just laying the groundwork for the Holy Spirit to come and do something we never could have seen coming that we never could have thought possible. So I stand with you. I'm, I'm counting on it. I mean, that's (laughs) the, the, the very, the very uh, bright upside to my, Last couple of, well, first of all, when I first joined the lead team that week, I think I've said this before, that week was when we began the process of the first restructuring that we went through. That was the first week, not the lead team, the executive team before we restructured the second time (laughs) and before the pandemic. And so I've never been sitting at this, in, in this, at this level and where, where it hasn't been a crisis. Right. And so, um, like, I, I guess the, the upside to all of that is I am I harbor no illusions whatsoever that I have within myself, the capability to just pull this off. You mm-hmm. know, it's, there is no way in my weakness that I am going to be able to, I, I can't just fake it till I make it. I can't just pull a rabbit from my hat. Although I probably could actually <laughs> you could literally that, but pull a literal rabbit. <laughs> I, could, I could probably figure that out, but, but you know what I mean? I can't, I can't snap my fingers and make this happen. Yeah. So that gives me the freedom to know, okay, well then for when I'm weak, then I am strong mm-hmm. because it's not me. It's, it's Christ working through me. And that actually, let's talk a little bit about this. Cause the last bit of my message, I'll admit, I didn't have enough time to flesh out as much as I wished I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important because what I was talking about is, is that it says that, um, that at the end of the day, having seen what this servant, you know, experienced and all of that it brought about, he will be satisfied. So the question is how, how can, he be satisfied. That doesn't make any sense. And and ultimately what I came around was came around to was this idea that it was the Lord's good plan that the Lord's good plan would prosper in his hands. That's what it says. And I, I thought about that and realized, yeah, at the end of the day, it's the Lord's plan that's, that is being worked out through the servant. Mm-hmm. It's not the servant's plan. It's not the servant who is, who's, you know, making anything happen. It is the Lord's plan working through yeah. him. And because of that, and we know God's working and we know what God's ultimate end game is, to, to, you know, new creation. So we can, we can be satisfied knowing that we are playing a part in that bigger thing. You know, we can be confident. We know what he's, he's going to do at the end of the day. He's going to bring new creation. And so uh, we get to play a part in that. And so it almost doesn't even matter how insignificant our part is that we play. 
we know that it's the Lord's plan that's going to come to fruition through us. And so one thing I always think about when I think about like new creation or heaven or life after death is I want, I wonder if God is going to sit us down and show us all the ways that he used our tiny acts mm. of faithfulness to uh, start an entire web of causality that led to his purposes being accomplished. Like I want him yeah. to sit, you know, I, I want him to sit down and be like, remember that time that you smiled at that, that cashier who looked like they were having a bad day and you just said, Hey, hope you're doing well. Here's what I did with that. And, mm-hmm. and like, this is what they did to their neighbor. And this is how that neighbor do blah, 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 blah. And here's how oh, yeah. in, in the year 3072, the Martian warlord, something came to Christ. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to know that all of that and be able to see it. And I think if we did see that and we could see the part that we were playing, not only would we be shouting, we're worthy, we're worthy that we get to be a part of it. But I think we would probably be speechless and falling on our knees, realizing like, okay, God is playing four dimensional chess and you know, we're twiddling our thumbs. We don't even know. So, um, yeah. 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 I think we need more encouraging stories. Not, I'm not saying we need to be more encouraging Barry, but I think, (laughs) I think it boosts my faith when I hear stories about God's good plan mm. and how something so insignificant or seemingly ins- insignificant ended up bringing about God's good plan, yeah. that that inspires me. It gives me energy when I'm tired yeah. and encourages me not to grow weary and give up. Yeah. Can I tell you, okay, this just happened. I, I just thought of this. I'll tell you the perfect story of that. And I've probably mentioned it before, but just in case, just bear with me. Cause there's some new, new twists at the end, but maybe we can end with this story. Cause it is, <laughs> it is a very helpful one. So, um, this is the, the small act of faithfulness that God then multiplies for his good plan. So when I was doing world next door, I went to Ukraine and I, uh, I spent some time at the Romanov disabled boys orphanage. And I I've talked about that a lot and you could read it in my book. You can, I've done a whole bunch about that. I've done sermons yeah. about it. And while I was there, I just wrote an article about, I wrote a few articles about what mission to Ukraine was doing there. And, uh, it was, you know, just a couple, it was, I mean, a couple thousand words. We're not even talking like that much. And what ended up happening, not only did that spiral into one of the boys getting adopted, little Peter, um, which then led to an American couple choosing to adopt a boy from Bulgaria and like uh, there's a whole, one whole storyline that branches off that way. But yeah, uh, there's a whole other storyline where there's a, it was an American family, Kim and Jed Johnson, who they, um, they felt led by God to get involved in uh, working with with kids with disabilities in Eastern Europe. For some reason, that's what God had called them to, but they had no idea where to start. So they were just Googling, like, I don't know, orphanages in, in disabilities in Ukraine. And guess what they found? They found some of my articles, which led them to mission to Ukraine. And long story short, they ended up moving to Ukraine. Their four kids, they moved all the way there and ended up... Uh, over time adopting several of the boys from that orphanage into their own family. Then they, then they, they started a ministry where they had, uh, they're starting to kind of build this little um, network of uh, families and stuff, starting to adopt multiple boys. And they're, they're really starting to change the, 
the whole circumstance for that that location. And one of their boys, Vlad, with their first one that they adopted, um, he just turned 20 this week, and um, his journey of transformation is incredible. He spent almost his entire life from when he was a toddler in this orphanage, and um, now he's learning all these new skills, and he's he's now is having this transformation where he's learning how to write and speak. He wrote his own uh, birthday wish list, which is like incredible. No one taught him how to read or write. And now he's learned how to read and write and he's learning English. And oh my, it's just incredible. And you can follow all their stuff, by the way, if you search for wide yes. awake family. Anyway, so I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now. Oh, yeah. It's wide dash awake on fast on, on Facebook. Yes. Wide yes. dash awake. So that's cool. And up till recently, I thought that was the end of that story. And that's how God used those little articles that I wrote and, and did that. Well, no, it's not over yet because uh, Jed, Jed, uh, who's Vlad's father, you know, adopted father, Jed, uh, it does woodworking and builds a ton of stuff, and he's built these these big, beautiful uh, buildings as, that are a part of this compound, and uh, Vlad has taken a huge interest in this, and so he's been teaching Vlad how to use tools and how to build stuff with wood and how to do woodworking, and just. I guess he decided, I haven't heard the whole story, but Jed decided to start posting about Vlad the Builder on the woodworking Reddit subreddit, ah. okay? So uh, he started posting pictures of Vlad's projects that he's making on it and what he's learning. And Vlad the Builder has blown up on Reddit, okay? So the <laughs> other day, I didn't know anything about this. I was just idly scrolling through popular posts on Reddit and all of a sudden I see a picture of Vlad holding up a wooden cutting oh board goodness. that he had done and I was like wait what <laughs> and and then I come to find out yeah he's like a big deal on on the woodworking Reddit page everybody knows him and so I was like that's incredible how cool wow. well then get this yesterday I was looking at my YouTube subscriptions and what do I find but Jonathan Katz Moses one of the woodworking YouTubers that I follow who's got like I don't know a quarter of a million followers and subscribers on YouTube who just gets a ton of views. He's a big deal guy. And he's got this, this, um, mallet that he's holding up in the thumbnail that says Vlad on it. And I was like, wait, what? And the, the title was making a mallet for Vlad the builder. I click on the video. He, this guy has been working on, uh, he, he's been investing in this, um, nonprofit that does, uh, works with, uh, woodworkers with disabilities. And he found out about Vlad through Reddit and then ended up doing this whole video advocating for wide awake family and for this, you know, working with woodworkers with disabilities. And he's going to send like this massive care package of, of woodworking wow. tools over to Vlad. And then I'm looking at the YouTube comments and people are freaking oh out and saying they're crying. I'm sitting there crying. Like I'm getting emotional uh, right now. Yeah. And it's like, where's this going to go? Where is this even leading? Cause um, yeah. And, and wow. as I always say, when I talk about wow. this or when I talk about little Peter being adopted, like none of it has to do with me. I didn't do anything. I wrote a few words, right? But yeah. God took that little bit and he, he, I just got the privilege of being able to see a little bit of where it's leading. Um, yeah. but man, who knows in a hundred years where this chain of events will, will lead. Mm -hmm. And so that's the Lord's good plan prospering. Yes. If we're just faithful, into what, what we're called, even if it's suffering, because we know yeah. at the end of the day, we're worthy. We're worthy to be called um, followers of Christ. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's everything we talk about at Grace. It's healing a broken place. It's healing multiple broken places. It's healing those broken places in Jesus' name. Yeah. And it's through our action. Yeah. You know, we don't give our lives to Christ so that we can sit there and 
shout about how saved we are right and make it and have it stop there that's not where it stops he saves us to go into the world and that's that's what we do yeah 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 awesome well Let's wrap it up. Why not? Why not? Let's Listener, do that. we have gotten kicked off about five times. You have no idea how <laughs> difficult it was to see this pod all the way through. But I'm glad we did because that last story is all I needed. Thank you, Barry. I'm like, I'm about to cry. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, me too. So, <laughs> Where are we going from here, Barry? All right. New series this, uh, this coming weekend. We're starting Hope Month, all about the broken place of isolation and healing that. And... Uh, a little spoiler alert: the uh, the title or the catchphrase for this whole series is "You are is never alone." You are never alone, mm-hmm. and also how we look at our neighbor. Uh, we need to remember they are never alone either, and we need to think of it that way. And I think it's going to be provocative and hopefully really encouraging because I know we are all experiencing different levels of isolation that some mm-hmm. of us probably have never experienced before, and some of us are very familiar with. So, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be inspirational. Uh, you should just go ahead and throw that story you just told into yeah, one of your honestly. messages because, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, Barry, is it cool if I send Please. us out? Maren, would you do us the <laughs> honors and send us out? <laughs> do justly. Do. Do justly. Walk humbly. You justly love mercy. Walk on me with your God. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. And we'll see you on the other side of Sunday. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, we need you.